All right. All right. <clears throat> Crop the radio now. Got rid of those folks on the radio. Howdy. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for staying with us. We got a great overtime lined up. Like I said, we got Matt Leck and David Griscom. Griscom coming on the line. You can still call in. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. We're going to take a short break, and we will be right back. Valley Labor Report. We are now in overtime on Alabama's only Union Talk radio program, and we've got some good stuff. Google Map workers win big after just threatening to strike. We're going to be spotting corporate plants with Matt Leck and David Griscom. Microsoft has an interesting announcement and more. Uh, so let's just jump into this first story about Microsoft. They came out with an interesting announcement last week. Um, Dave Jameson, labor reporter for Huffington Post, said that this statement on Twitter, he said that this statement, while careful, hints that Microsoft will not respond as aggressively as other corporations have to unionization efforts and that the company is even potentially open to voluntary recognition. So that's really interesting. Uh, One of the things that they said in the statements is, in many instances, employee unionization proposals may open an opportunity for Microsoft to work with an existing union on agreed-upon processes for employees to exercise their rights through a private agreement. So that's interesting. Um, There's reason to be skeptical, though, because a boss is a boss is a boss. Um, In response to this announcement on Twitter, some people shared their own employers' attempts to use private election agreements to get them to give up their right to strike before they even get to the negotiating table. Wow. Like, as um, as a condition of accepting card check, I'm gonna sign away, I'm gonna sign a no strike clause. Yeah, not I, I think folks under so. the Microsoft umbrella would have to be really, really careful about that and, and ask why is the company taking this approach? Uh, you know, maybe it's as simple as they don't want some of the bad PR that Amazon mm-hmm. and Starbucks and uh, Activision have been receiving because of public opinion. As, we, as we've mentioned a couple times today, public opinions at an all time high for the labor movement. Uh, obviously, the people are on our side. They're on the side of the workers organizing in those uh, particular companies that are being so egregious. So maybe it's a PR move with Microsoft. I mean, you know, their most famous right. person they're associated with is Bill Gates, who uh, obviously has had some PR issues as mm-hmm. the last few years. So maybe that's it. But I think you just you just shared something that's very important. They're not doing this for no reason. Right. And And uh, be careful what that reason could be. Connor Lewis also mentioned Connor Lewis on Twitter, uh, editor at the Labor Journalism Collective Strike Wave. He mentioned that um, there could be a a benefit to be had by the companies by taking the election mechanism out of the hands of the NLRB when you have an aggressive 
pro-worker NLRB like we have right now, or at least a relatively so aggressive right. and pro-worker NLRB, um, because you could, you, you know, if you agree to what uh, to, to this election agreement, well, then you take the enforcement mechanism out of the hands of the NLRB and you put it in some private mediator, some private private arbitrator, uh, some private panel or something uh, that that the boss maybe chooses and that maybe you agree to, but maybe you didn't realize how pro boss they are. And so, yeah, if the boss is offering you a shortcut to your union, yeah. uh, you should be, 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 be suspect, be suspect. Um, not, I wouldn't say this is bad. This is maybe better than neutral news is about what I would. I think they wouldn't have said this if it, <laughs> if, if it weren't for the power Right, that we see surging across the labor movement right now, and and like I said, the bad press that that these companies are getting from their anti-union tactics. So, I, yeah, I think you could take it as as sort of a a positive thing, the fact that they even bothered to issue this statement at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, the workers that are specifically involved will definitely have to tread carefully. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, but but you know. Um, Definitely hope that uh, uh, hope that some Microsoft workers see this and, and reach out to CWA or something. That would be great. Um, let's uh, uh, let, let's take a look at some of the uh, some of the comments that we didn't get to read in the in the YouTube chat. Um, uh, Ron M says it seems we're happy to spend federal funds on projects which result in death and destruction while underfunding agencies which protect workers and indefinitely and, and and to a degree that is difficult to understand you know like i mentioned the nlrb the eeoc these things are minuscule in the in light of the whole size of the national budget why would you not fund them more right compare the like budget of the eeoc or the nlrb or the dol to i don't know the f-35 program mm-hmm. uh are look at look at the contracts right. that boeing and raytheon and lockheed get compared to these fed- very important federal agencies. Yeah. Uh, Jeb M. says that uh, Jeb, he, he's a business manager for the Ironworkers, uh, another sponsor of the show. He said that Tony has led the biggest labor negotiations in North Alabama. That's very cool. Um, Mr. Anderson says that uh, need more stories with happy endings. Uh, I think he was responding there to the grievance story there. Um, That's a good point. Yeah, we yeah. should, we should uh, try to share some more uh, wins uh, especially those kind of like individual grievances, because, mm-hmm. you know, obviously on this show, we focus more on the collective than the individual. But, you know, we're, unions are made up of individuals yeah. uh, who, who join together and uh, individuals often join the union for that benefit and protection. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it. I have a few victories under my belt that, you know, I still think about and still still makes me happy. You know, some of those wins that we got for individual workers. Yeah, maybe let's talk about those sometime. Um, Mr. Anderson also says people want to live, not work till they drop. Indeed. Uh, Jeb says another bonus is that trade union contractors typically build uh, the largest and most iconic landmarks in the United States, uh, which is true. A lot of our members chase these glory jobs so that they can say, yeah, I helped build that. Yeah, Um, that's really cool. One of the things that the Ironworkers commercial says on America's workforce is that they built things like the Freedom Tower in New York on top of uh, Ground Zero. They built the uh, the Golden Gate Bridge or something. 
glory uh, glory jobs tend to go to union uh, union contractors. So de- so that is that is pretty cool to be able to drive by some you know big skyline altering construction project and be like, hey, I, I helped build that build that. Uh, that that's pretty cool. I, I mean, I even know just from my brief experience as a stagehand, like it you know the satisfaction you get from seeing yeah. it. Like when you know when I saw the pictures of the Dave Matthews concert or uh, Kenny Chesney concert. I'm not a fan of Kenny Chesney, but man. We did a pretty good job setting yeah, up yeah, all those right. lights, I have to say. And, yeah, it makes you feel proud to know that you contributed to that and that, you know, mm-hmm. it, you were part of a team. Uh, right. And that's that's one of the great things about that kind of work. Right. Um Mr. Anderson says these politicians do not believe in local governance. Talking about yeah. the barring of yeah, right. <laughs> barring of South Dakota cities from enacting a, a paid maternity leave um mr anderson also says japan gives maternity leave for fathers i think it would be called paternity leave in that case uh but yes i have paternity leave um i work for the federal government and i get i will get uh 12 weeks of paid leave i believe yeah i was lucky that when my daughter was born i had a union contract at the time that guaranteed parental leave uh for fathers Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was a great benefit to have. Um, you know, shamefully, I, I had more leave available than my wife did, who actually, you know, wow. did the hard work of giving birth. Uh, but that's the difference between a union contract and not having one. Wow. Wow. Um, Jason Wintermeyer says child care tax credit, uh, talking about some things that people could do to help support uh, uh, women, folks who have children. Um Indeed, that's something, and that's amazing that the Democrats let that pass. It just doesn't make any sense. Any sense? Uh, Jeb says in response to Strom's call, "The only war is class war." Strong hit it out of the park. Solidarity, brother. Um, indeed, only war is class war. That's right. Uh, Strom says in the chat after he got off the phone, "Post age of discovery, race ideology is a tool for the division of the exploited and the organization of capitalist production." Yeah. Definitely. I agree with that. William Pina, a union is the most effective anti-racist program. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and there's actual research to prove yeah. that. And we've talked about that research. Yeah, uh, yeah. With You can go back, and this is an old clip, and so the audio isn't as good, but uh, Jake Gromback, researcher from the University of Washington, talked about that with us. Um, Jeb M says, post-Civil War Reconstruction embedded that division into the Southern proletariat class for the Northern capitalists to exploit, and this still continues. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, Great show today, Jeb says. Hate to leave. Good company, but got a dip. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Strom says, I was wrong. Bill Cassidy is from Illinois, uh, not Wisconsin. And Jeb says, uh, uh, Ironworkers 477 built that amphitheater. Very cool. That's awesome. They I didn't did know a that. great job. They did a great job. And IATSE 900 loves working on it. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited to go to a concert there. Um, looking forward to being able to do that. Another win uh, that happened last week is that uh, Google Maps workers won a huge victory. Um, they said on Twitter, Today, the Google Maps contract workers informed management that they plan to go on strike due to unsafe working conditions imposed by the June 6th return to office date. In less than three hours, workers won a 90-day extension. This is the power of organizing. Hell that yeah. is awesome. In three hours. And and this is interesting because the Alphabet Workers Union 
is a project of the CWA that is very, very interesting. It is a wall-to-wall union for alphabet workers and alphabet contractors. Um, they recently, they recently did win a union election, but they haven't, they haven't done a union election in 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 very many places and i don't think they're the official bargaining representative of the google maps contract workers so to be able to do that without uh an nlrb recognized union or and and definitely without a contract they definitely don't have a contract yet i know that for sure that's amazing and that and that is what people should be doing as they're trying to organize their workplace is they should be um Acting like a acting like they're a union already, being a union already, because you are a union already, and you can still win even if you haven't had your election yet. Right, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a great example. They organized and produced a victory, and it took three hours for the boss to figure it out. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. So if you're in a workplace where there's no union and you don't even see a union on the horizon, that doesn't mean you can't organized there in your workplace that doesn't mean you can't actually win some victories because there's there's strength in numbers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's the key you know there's somebody there that you work with that you can connect with and all right now you have two now you've got the basis of a committee keep going yeah absolutely let's hit this one more story before we bring on david and matt they're coming on at 1130 from left um, reckoning from uh left for those of reckoning. you not familiar with those uh guys great guys fellow southerners uh and david is david is matt right. is from north dakota right okay you know so not a southerner but uh <laughs> very much a rural area i think he yeah. could probably relate in some uh some ways but left reckoning is a really cool show and they've been very uh, gracious to us and had us on as guests so definitely uh, appreciate them coming on yeah um, so inflation continues to be an issue. Uh, I filled up my car yesterday, $75. I do not have like a big truck. It's just, it's like a, it's a sedan, $75. Um, and the Biden administration seems dead set on taking a conservative path to ending inflation, raising interest rates. So what does that do? What is actually, you know, we've been hearing about this and this is, and this is actually, uh, we talk about this a lot at my work because the projects that I work on are financed projects with 25, 30 year terms. And so when you're talking about 25, 30 year term on a contract and you're talking about increasing the interest rate by half a percent, that's a really big deal. And for a lot of our projects are just kind of like they just break even, um, so this is a really big concern at my workplace. Um, and, and, and so what does it do? Well, like I just told you, I mean, I experienced this directly on my job. It's going to kill investment. And that's the goal. And that's the outcome is it will kill invest, investment because money will cost more to borrow, uh, which will kill job openings and lower wages. I mean, the it, it's just not good it's (laughs) yeah i mean and look there's a lot we could there's a whole another debate about the you know cheap easy money uh that has been flowing from the federal reserve for i don't know at this point like over a decade uh and the ways in which 
corporations have been able to get this cheap money and they are so leveraged up to their eyeballs in this debt. You know, those are all valid debates and conversations. But if you look at what's going to happen to ordinary people as these interest rates are raised, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a good thing uh, for us. Historically, pretty much every time they've raised up rates to supposedly tackle inflation, it inevitably results in a recession. Mm-hmm. We see uh, less job openings. We see wages go down. Um you know, is this actually going to fix inflation? I don't think it will, because you're not even addressing the major factors behind the inflation. You, you might cool off the housing market because now regular people like us, it's going to be so much more expensive to get a mortgage. Right. You know, maybe some of the speculation in housing goes down a little bit as it gets more expensive. Maybe that prices out some of these speculators because, you know, in Huntsville, just as across the country, we're seeing a lot of out-of-state companies and out-of-state investors scooping up properties and people are being priced out of their own backyards. And so, you know, we'll see if, if it has any effect on that part of the economy. But in general... I don't see how this is going to fix inflation, uh, but I do see how it's going to probably kick off a recession. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, just in my job, we're talking about uh, uh, projects potentially not being able to go through. And what does that mean? That means um, the projects that I, that, yeah, the projects that I work on are huge multi-million dollar projects. I've got like 10 of these that are looking at being awarded in the next couple of years and uh and that's a that's going to be a total of potentially like a hundred million dollars that would a lot of that would go into workers pockets some you know some of it would go into material and some of it's going to go into into other stuff but that's going to go to jobs too and and we're looking at having to kill some of these projects it's just really really not good and so from an article in mr online by ben norton in a press conference on may the 4th Powell announced that the Fed would be raising interest rates by half a percentage and implemented policies aimed at reducing inflation in the United States, which is at its highest level in 40 years. According to a transcript of the presser uh, published by the Wall Street Journal, Powell blamed this inflation crisis, which is global, uh, not on the proxy war in Ukraine and Western sanctions on Russia, but rather on U.S. workers supposedly making too much money. Wow. This is the Biden Fed chair. Employers are having difficulties filling job openings and wages are rising at the fastest pace in many years, Powell complained. The Fed's proposal bring down wages. And that's what he's and that's that's a quote from him is that we want to bring wages down. The theory behind why this is necessary is basically that Biden administration is buying the conservative argument about inflation. Support for working people during the pandemic has caused the market to be too favorable to workers, and so they need to correct that balance. Y'all feeling that? Y'all feeling how favorable it is? It doesn't make any sense because inflation is the same here as it is in Europe at about 8%. If U.S. policies are to blame, why is it that our inflation rates are identical? Right. And why is that inflation rate not matching the rate of increase of wages? Right. right. If if inflation's 8% and it's all because of us working people getting more crumbs from the table, you would think wages have risen by 8%. But they haven't. Yeah. 
and and, and it's just it's about four percent, right? Right is my right. understanding. Well, and, so we're and, looking and, at about four percent wage gains, but eight percent inflation, and somehow. You know, exactly. somehow it's all our fault as working people because we got a child tax credit or because we got, you know, a bonus check here and there. Because the real inflate the real drivers of inflation are obviously global. Energy inflation is actually a bit lower here than in Europe. Thirty percent here to forty percent in Europe, largely because of the war in Ukraine and production not having ramped up to pre pandemic levels because oil is sold on a global market. So, you know, uh, they're not getting their oil from Russia right now. Europe isn't, so they're having to buy from our suppliers of oil, which is which is pushing our oil prices up. Which pushes the price up of of, of other everything goods. else right. that gets transported through oil, which is virtually anything you're going to buy. Supply chain issues, production so- shocks. David Dayen in the American Prospect uh, reports that even among people, even among like the academic economist people who say that not you know not the the conservative talk radio propagandists, but the real economists, even among the people that say that pandemic relief measures are somewhat to blame, it's not more than one or two percent. And yet somehow among the conservative corporate media, and for some reason, the Biden administration, a reigning idea is that workers' wages are too high and we need to be put in check. And that's ex- and, and and Robert Kuttner points out in the American Prospect exactly like you said, Adam, uh, that the latest job report really puts this idea to bed. If you care to take a look, wages have only risen half as fast as inflation. And by the way, I, not to get too off topic here, but that's one of the reasons why uh, when I saw Alabama just celebrating this, you know, huge teacher pay raise. You know, I, I it's not that I was trying to down, uh, downplay it, but it was a 4% raise across the board. Inflation's 8%. I'm not a math major, but I can figure that out. So, you know, now there were some there were some really important gains in terms of restructuring the salary matrix and, and increasing steps and that sort of thing. So I don't want to take away from that victory. But, you know, if your employer is giving you a 4% raise while prices are ri- rising at 8% or more, are you really gaining ground there? Right. Uh, and, and, and Joe Marshall in the Facebook chat said, isn't uh, Powell a Trump appointee? And he was a Trump appointee, but he was just confirmed a couple of weeks ago on May yeah, Biden reappointed well, him. Biden reappointed him. And so I can only take that as a uh, vote of confidence from the Biden right. administration that they support the the direction they're going in. Um, Means Morning News had a great segment this week, I believe on Wednesday, uh, where they actually played some um, some footage from one of Biden's economic advisors, who's more or less saying the same thing that you're hearing from from Chair Powell. Um and in this case, you know, the Biden White House was sort of putting it out there that, oh, well, the labor market's so tight that we have room to do this. Because the question from the reporter was, how, how confident are you that the Fed can raise these interest rates and not and somehow, you know, and that this is going to help inflation, but not put us into a recession? Uh, can't say the answer impressed me. 
It's just so... And and the political uh, aspect to this is this is all happening as you're facing midterm elections in November right? that already look pretty bad, given the layout, given which offices are up for election in terms of on the Senate side. And if you look at approval ratings for Congress, approval ratings for Biden and the Biden administration and Democrats more broadly, you know... And the historic trend that midterms after a new administration typically go to the opposition party. All signs point to bad November results for the Democrats. That's not inevitable, but (laughs) again, I'm not an expert here, but my guess would be if we start seeing a recession, if we see the labor market collapse, uh, if we see folks still paying higher at the uh, grocery store and at the gas pump while the job market actually starts to dry up. How does this help you win an election in November? I, I don't know. I just, it, it's, it feels like they're doing things. It feels like they're taking actions uh, that they know will get their ass kicked at the polls. Now, maybe they think that's the right thing to do for the American people, but um yeah, I, I just it is very mind-boggling when you look at this and consider that they are almost certainly going to to lose control of Congress. It's just uh, it's sad. It's sad, and um, you know I've been told by many people that Joe Biden, oh, he's the most pro-labor president we've ever had. He's going to be a new FDR. Blah blah blah. And I think we've tried to be very fair on this show and highlight some things that have been good, uh, particularly the NLRB. Um, and there have been some proposals that were positive. They haven't gone anywhere. But all in all, I mean, you can't tell me this is a... a just you, It's hard to convince me how pro-labor this administration is when their economic policy seems geared towards the same kind of conservative economic policies that we would hear from the other party. Right. Yeah. It's difficult to understand. Definitely really difficult to understand. Have we got, uh, have we got David and Matt on the line now? Um, you know, uh, I think we have Matt on the line. Uh, David, not yet, but Matt does appear to be in here with us. Let's go ahead and bring him on. Sure thing. Appreciate uh, everyone listening. Appreciate your patience, yeah, uh, yeah. especially as you wait for me to figure things out. Because uh, as you've learned, I'm not a professional. Yeah, so Matt Leck and David Griscom host Left Reckoning. It's a uh, program on YouTube. I'm sure they do a podcast and everything as well. We've been on oh, yeah. it a, a few times. They do some really good stuff. Uh, definitely enjoy listening to them. And Matt Leck is also a producer on The Majority Report. Uh, David Griscom has writing in a lot of different places. He was also a producer, I believe, on The Michael Brooks Show, as was my, Matt Leck. Uh, so really, really enjoy listening to them. Matt uh, appreciate you coming on the program. Yeah, howdy, fellas. Happy to uh, be spending the Saturday afternoon with you guys. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh yeah, it's twelve thirty over there. It, it is, is twelve thirty one in Brooklyn, uh, New York. Yeah, it is officially afternoon over there. So, um, we were going to get uh, David to talk to us some about um, about Texas. So while we wait for him to get on the line, to and he's talk to and us, he's on his way. He's coming in. We're we're working on it. Yeah, is he is he's out late at the honky tonk last night? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> I wonder if we have any union honky tonks, or if if that's a thing out there. We we, we should make we that happen. Some. We should make that happen. Maybe we can get. Uh, I guess the closest thing that we would have to a honky tonk here would be like Sammy T's. Oh, is that a honky tonk? No, not quite. No, that no. You don't think so? <laughs> no, no. I'm wondering. Maybe up in Nashville, though. Maybe maybe up in Nashville, there's some unionized honky tonks. <laughs> could be could be it sounds like we got david on the line david appreciate you jumping on hey how are y'all doing doing good doing good so um adam is working on getting our uh getting everything uh getting everything set up visually um so actually let's just let's take a break really quick why don't we do that? Why don't we take a break really quick, Adam, while we get that sorted out? Sure. All that right, folks, good. we'll be right back with David and Matt. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. We'll be back. We promise. <laughs> Come on, you poor workers. Good news to you, I'll tell Welcome back. This is the Valley Labor Report. We are on with Matt Leck and David Griscom. Folks, thanks for joining. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Yeah, same. So I wanted to start off with um, David. If you could talk to us some about Texas. Y'all have... A lot of stuff happening over there. Um, the first Texas Starbucks uh, workers won an election. Um, you, of course, had the horrible massacre over there. You've been writing a lot about um, what Abbott has been doing with the COVID stuff. You know, people talk about COVID tyranny, COVID tyranny, and Abbott has actually been doing some COVID tyranny. So just talk to us about what is going on in, in Texas right now. Well, I mean, there's a hell of a lot. Um, I mean, first off, shout out to 45th and Lamar here in Austin uh, for winning their uh, union election. I think it was 10 to 1, which is pretty exciting. I think there's 10 more stores down coming down the pipeline, too. Um, I mean, I guess uh, maybe I, I could start with Abbott and we could you know, zoom out from there because all of these things sort of touch on what's been happening in the state for the past 20 years, where once the Democratic Party completely imploded, uh, the state has been controlled de facto by the Republican Party, right? And it's been like 22 years. And in a state like Texas, that really um, matters just in the sense that Texas's constitution was set up to have a weak governor. So, you know, we don't have to debate whether or not Texas is a southern state or not, um, but it does have this um, big difference from a lot of other southern states where it does sort of have that kind of Western 
populism where like the legislature has tremendous amounts of power and the executive branch is really, really weak. And uh, the governor has always been really weak in Texas historically. So like unlike a lot of other states, like they don't get to select their own cabinet. Um, all of those kind of executive functions are appointed um, by the governor on like a staggered basis. So they're like a council or they're just straight up statewide election. But what's happened is because uh, after the Democratic Party started to completely fall apart here, the Republican Party has been in power for so long that everybody who is in the executive branch is basically a loyalist. And this got really strong under Rick Perry and then Greg Abbott, who is just like, you know, people don't know him like this is a guy who is, you know, paralyzed because he got hit with a tree when he was a young lawyer, um, sued the homeowner and the tree company for something like 22 million plus. Right. Um, and when he got into power in Texas, he basically capped the amount of uh, non-medical damages that somebody could receive for a personal injury. Right. Like this is and that was because that was uh, former President Bush's. Um, big thing when he was in Texas politics was limiting the amount of money that you could win in a personal injury lawsuit. Right. So just like knowing that this is somebody who's just always willing to go with the, the win. But just um, to fast forward a little bit, he inherits this extremely centralized governor position from Rick Perry. And then he continues to expand on that using the same kind of tactics that Rick Perry used. And then COVID hits. And Texas was like almost every other state. They locked down. You know, everyone was sort of following the same playbook until you started to see this backlash from, you know, the the right wing and particularly like small business owners. So Abbott almost immediately starts to rescind a lot of those restrictions. But the notable thing is he never has ended the state of disaster declaration that he put into place at the beginning. And the state of disaster declaration in Texas gives the governor the ability to basically act like a full on executive without having to worry about anything that the legislative branch does. And it was set up in the 70s so that when there's a flood or something like or a hurricane here that you can get resources to people quickly. That's what it was designed for. And Abbott every month in a very, you know, no frills like kind of ceremony extends that disaster declaration. And he's used that first off. He was using that to basically overrule school districts, the legislature, cities, counties, all other kind of authority in the state. But it's not just limited to him basically blocking any kind of COVID restrictions. He's also declared a disaster at the border using COVID-19 as the pretense. So he is declared a disaster at the border saying undocumented migrants are bringing over COVID-19 into Texas. So we need to have a state response to that. And he has created a, a parallel system to the Border Patrol. It has been a cash bonanza for private contractors. And it hasn't really done any of the things that he set out to do, like drop the politics, you know, of what you want there. Like literally just like on what he sets out to do, he wants to catch, you know, people bringing drugs over, et cetera. They're not really doing very much. And it's, we're, we're upwards of a few billion dollars. He's also building the wall. Um, and it has been a, a real human disaster, not only from what people are facing who are trying to cross the border, but also for the National Guardsmen. Um, the, you know, just I'm going to talk about suicides for a second, folks. Um, you know, the suicide rate of National Guardsmen is actually extremely high because people are stuck at the border and people probably know how that system works. These people have civilian jobs. They lose their jobs. And because they're called up by the state, they don't make as much money as they would if the federal government was calling them up. They also don't get the same kind of health care that they would if they were getting called up by the federal government or in the instance of them being killed in action. 
um, their families don't get, uh, they typically, the government will immediately give you something near like $100,000 to your family, your immediate family, if somebody passes away. Here, they just get basically workers' comp, uh, which is much li more limited. It's paid out, you know, every two weeks. Um, and it, there's a lot of paperwork and it's very easy to, you know, misfile. And you can imagine a family grieving in a moment like that, making a mistake. And they're not getting access to that. And yeah, I mean, a lot of people unfortunately have died uh, most recently. Um, just what is it? Must have been late April. A guardsman uh, died drowning um, because he tried to save a migrant family that was trying to cross the Rio Grande. And, um, you know, they have done nothing for them. And it's I mean, it's just a scandal top down in that situation. It was extremely egregious because when they were getting grilled um, by the legislature, the, you know, the National Guard's, uh, you know, system and, and, and leadership there, what was the protocol for people getting into the water? They said, we don't have one. Do they have flotation devices? No. Just remember, they're three billion dollars has gone basically with no strings attached to these people and they don't have a protocol about people going into the water and remember we're talking about the border in texas you're talking about the rio grande you're talking about water right um i mean it's it's extreme the scandal goes uh, really deep uh, last thing just to note before um you know i i i'd like to hear y'all's thoughts on it but like last thing to note too is in addition to just the deployment of this, these national guardsmen uh, they also ran a, a parallel system of truck checks, you know, so when people when goods and ser sorry, services, but when trucks come over the border, they get checked by Border Control Customs, right? Abbott set up a parallel system where the National Guardsmen and state troopers were also inspecting trucks, which meant that all of the food, all of the goods that cross the border, I mean, we're talking, you know, it's a significant border, a lot of trade goes through it on a daily basis, completely shut down. For days, people weren't able to get over uh, the border. Food was rotting in trucks. Um, and again, remember, because he doesn't actually have the legal authority to create a system parallel to customs, all they could do was check the headlights and, you know, make sure nothing's hanging off the bottom of the truck. So it was, it was pure symbolism. And the, what, what does he want to do with that? He wants to get invited on Tucker Carlson and impress, uh, you know, Bubba guy in Tennessee about how he's the real serious um, governor on on the border and i just have to note that you know in this moment when he was when he finally got his big fox news spot um the headline that you know the little ticker they put at the bottom was not greg abbott strong on the border it was is greg abbott the ron DeSantis of texas <laughs> which is certainly uh, not what he had intended there <laughs> that's awesome well isn't is it Texas? Is that one of the places that the National Guard people are looking at unionizing? Yes. Um, so there has been because the Biden administration, um, the Justice Department said that they will not. Uh, I can't remember the statute, but they will not pursue because it's illegal for, uh, you know, servicemen to uh, unionize in this country. But there is a carve out for people who are called up on uh, um, state level missions and then they can unionize basically with the state employees union. And the Biden administration said that they will no longer um, prosecute uh, National Guardsmen uh, for doing that. So, yeah, there's been a really um, exciting and, and uh, promising uh, movement of, of these National Guardsmen to start to unionize. Because, I mean, like, you know, this is just, you know, bread and butter stuff. I mean, the craziest thing about the mission that they're on is that Biden has also called up the National Guard um, to the border as well. 
So oftentimes these guys are serving next to somebody who might be from New Mexico or something like that, right? A National Guardsman from New Mexico who's getting the federal pay, getting the federal health care benefits, getting all those kind of protections. They're doing the same job and there's just like this, you know, bureaucratic difference in how they're being taken care of. And are any of the, you know, anti-COVID people uh, barking at Abbott for retaining these emergency powers? Um, no, because he, the way he, Abbott's smart because, he, you know, give him credit. Like he's, he has a shrewd legal mind. Um, you can see that even in the, the kind of bills that they've been passing through the legislature, like on abortion, for example, right. Where it's not the government necessarily who's pursuing the cases against people. It's private citizens. Like they're finding ways to get around, um, the legal system and the constitution of Texas, basically, um, and, and the way that he does these COVID protocols, most people aren't really paying attention to him. There has been a lot of pushback from the right wing on his border actions because they are just seen by most people as one failures and two, just like, I mean, it's a huge giveaway. Um, and even some of the crazy right wingers who ran against him for governor have been barking at him about, uh, you know, the waste that he's been creating. Um but no, I mean, that's why I wrote the piece for Sublation Magazine, because uh, a lot of people don't realize where he's getting these powers from. A lot of people, you know, obviously, you know, state governments can be a little archaic and confusing for folks, don't realize that the governor actually traditionally doesn't have this power in the first place, um, in Texas, at least. So, you know, the way that he's doing it is quite sneaky. And, you know, I talk to people all the time here and they have no idea uh, that that's how he sort of has gotten all this extra executive power for himself over the past few months or sorry past few years are those checks still happening of vehicles coming across the border no they shut it down um so basically it was an immediate like immediate disaster and uh, it cost the the nation and the state you know somewhere upwards of like 12 billion dollars to just trade shut down you know how capitalism works uh people start making calls and demanding changes so what he did was he uh had these um, really publicized meetings with governors from Mexico over the border states where they signed a piece of paper that said, we will do more on the border. Again, like not legally binding. Again, the, this is like this is like the point, though, and I think it's the point about the way a lot of Republicans are governing across the, um, the country right now, too. We're like the governor does not have the ability to sign foreign treaties. That is a power that is reserved for the federal government. And, you know, and, and Abbott is just doing this kind of stuff. And of course, it's symbolic um, and these uh, agreements are toothless. Um, but it gives him the ability to say, like, look, I got I made these guys and, you know, they drive to Austin, the Mexican governors. Right. So it's like sort of embarrassing for them, um, you know. And, uh, yeah, it took him a little while to get everybody to sign. But all four of the governors of the you know border states uh, all sort of signed these, again, toothless agreements with him and he shut it down. But the damage was done at that point, like the second that he made that order, the delays were going to take probably two weeks to then you know, rectify themselves. Yeah, that's just kind of mind blowing when we're already experiencing supply chain issues. You're just going to mm -hmm. make it worse all for a little PR that, you know, it's hard to see how that even helps him in the long run. <laughs> but that's I guess that's Texas politics, much like Alabama politics. Well, I think he failed. I mean, by his own standards, I, I, I think that he tried. He thought that this was going to work out a, a little bit differently. 
Um, I don't know really what he expected was going to happen. I think that they thought that maybe they'd catch somebody with fentanyl in a truck or something like right. that. And they didn't. Um, and, you know, and then I always remind people, it's like, you know, you would know by now if they had been successful right. because there would have been a photo op. Right. Um, right. Looking yeah, for no, the so Cheech and Chong, uh, the Cheech yeah, and exactly. Chong band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that I, you know, the, um, yeah, Ben, we do still need them. Um, we're we're going to be playing those clips here in just a second. But yeah, the, you know, the right wing is never going to miss a media opportunity. <laughs> if there mm-hmm. if there is a victory to be had um perceived by them, then they're going to they're going to take it. You know, that's why uh, somebody asked me about about gas prices yesterday. Like, why do you think gas prices, you know, he said, you know, your side, quote unquote, doesn't seem to think that Biden's responsible or whatever. And I'm and and I was like, well, yeah, I don't really think he is, um, because conservatives can never point to any oil production that he stopped that was going on mm-hmm. and that he stopped. And so, you know, we can talk about, you know, the things that they point to don't even make any sense, like the Keystone Pipeline. It's not, you know, the mm-hmm. I, I'm open to say, you know, if he if he was. Sh- stopping oil production and raising gas prices will like show me but they don't and so you know I, the, the I, one thing they might could say would be the sanctions on russia uh, yeah which you know that has been a choice he doesn't mm-hmm. have but to they have don't these say sanctions that. but right, right that's that's not being pointed to right right well, could i add to that real quick because yeah, like, yeah this is an important point about private control of these systems right um so, you know, <laughs> Biden has uh, they just in the Permian Basin here, um, they've approved, I think, something near like 900 new permits for drilling. Um, you'd think that with prices so high that you would see this massive increase in oil production. But the vast majority of the oil companies in Texas, uh, they're not ramping up production. In fact, they're taking their windfall profits and they're paying off their shareholders in dividends. Right. right? So like. At this moment, you know, we can feel about oil and gas however, you know, we do. But like at this moment, there is a social need for there to be more affordable gas prices. And this private system is actually making the conscious decision to continue to maintain high prices. And instead of taking profits that they're getting and using that to reinvest in production, to hire, because they, I mean, something like 200,000 people were fired during the pandemic um, in the oil and gas industry. And, you know, we're talking mainly like, you know, people on the the drills themselves. Um you know, you would think that, oh, well, maybe they'd use that money to reinvest in oil production, um, you know, to sort of take care of folks, lower the price and also make some money for themselves. No, they're they're just paying off their shareholders uh, so that they can hold a very nice you know, stock position and people are more interested in investing in those companies in the future. Right. That's the number one problem here. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not somebody who's going to sit here and, you know, and show for Joe Biden, of all people. Um, but, yeah, no, the, the problem here is the, the private industry of oil production. Uh, not necessarily uh, Joe Biden's policies, because he's given he's uh, he's, you know, he's running up on Trump now when it comes to uh, opening up uh, oil and gas permits in this country on private. I'm sorry, on, on, on uh, public lands. Um, yeah. Right. And that's I think a, that's, that's that's very important what you just shared about how that actually works, because that's um, if anything, you could say Joe Biden is not addressing that problem. And therefore, you mm-hmm. could maybe throw some blame that way. But again, that's you know not the perspective. And sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, that's the frustrating thing about 
you know, how politics gets uh, interpreted by people in this country through the media is like, uh, oh, it's a Democrat bad or Republican bad, where it's like, typically, if if it is Joe Biden's fault, it's because of his fealty to capitalism, right. um, like whether it's like, um, or or it's because we've, there's things we should have been doing a while ago. I mean, even this baby formula stuff too, right? It's like, um, uh, like, that's like, it's it's going to get it's played as like, a, is it the Democrats fault or Republicans? It's like, this is a American monopoly capitalism problem. Right. Right. Yeah. That, that, and, and the, the fed increasing interest rates with the explicit goal to drive down wages from the uh, fed chairman Powell. We just talked about that a second ago, total political malpractice heading into the midterm. I mean, just from a, a totally cynical political point of view, if we pretend, if we're, if we don't even care about workers, going into like this is not the time to be doing that you know driving down wages nixon as an would explicit never. as an explicit <laughs> policy goal trump yeah. would never either like, yeah. and that's the yeah. thing that has been so annoying about all of this as you're starting to see you know the bubbling of uh interest rates and um you know it's very clear that the fed has an intention to wage war on on working people uh, what, what do you get from Biden? Biden gets praised by like liberal media and Politico because Biden came out and he says the number one goal is to protect the uh, independence of the Federal Reserve, which is just so bogus. Um, you know, I, I'm sorry, y'all. Like the uh, the Federal Reserve and the policies of what is effectively our central bank here um, affect millions of people, and people need to stop treating these things as if they're outside of politics. And it's just so cowardly um, to, to see Biden basically Trump's roll Fed over. Chairman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, and then like just to, sorry to bring it back to the baby formula thing, but I'm just reminded of the Buttigieg quote. Uh, Let's be very yeah. clear: this is a capitalist yeah. country. The government does not make baby formula, nor should it. Companies make formula, and then still we. Still, we have to talk about this in red versus blue, right? <laughs> versus blue, yeah. Well, yeah. What about the fact that both red and blue support that, right? I mean, that yeah, yeah. you know, there, there's where you start getting into the deeper issues of, well, why is it that private industry right. alone uh, is responsible for how we feed our babies? We have to rely totally. on, you know, a, essentially a handful of companies to be able to feed our kids and if they don't see yeah. a short if they don't see a profit interest in this quarter maybe they don't do it so and we're literally airlifting it in we're right. airlifting it in now and acting like it's the free market that's going to solve the problem and, um, and and just while we're sort of on this like kind of general question of oil and gas and this is a good union show um, I also just wanted to note something that's really important that's been happening here too with oil and gas workers you know Texas, like Alabama, is a state that does not have a tremendous amount of union density, though most states in the country don't anymore. Um, but a lot of that is concentrated in, you know, those historical industries like oil and gas. And what you've seen um, from the oil and gas companies, particularly like ExxonMobil, um, has been a really, really brutal campaign to decertify unions here. Um, in Beaumont, Texas, they did a lockout that went on for about like 10 months. Um, and uh, they weren't able to secure a, a really better deal for their workers. And there was a decertification campaign there um, that they barely won. I mean, they won by like the skin of their teeth. And uh, there's a pivot that we're seeing in the oil and gas industry right now towards union labor here uh, to basically try to eradicate 
um, you know, the union workforce. And again, where is where is Biden sort of showing up um, for these people right now? And this like this, this is like if you care about climate change, um, you know, you cannot just sit on your ass um, when the uh, um, when the oil and gas industry is basically trying to eradicate unions in the state of Texas. Yeah, yeah, that that's something that that we we never really did a deep dive on that, but but definitely something that we were following as as it was happening, and a lot of parallels the, to to the what, warrior mm-hmm. Matt Cole strike here mm-hmm. in Alabama, and and like you said, you know, just the idea that you would not, you know, another poll just came out putting you, the approval rate of unions at something like seventy percent. High, much higher than either political party and the idea that you wouldn't as a government as a politician try to ride the coattails of that right. and and go out on the picket line as the president of the united states or um or try to mediate this you know i mean uh, tim james when he was running for governor one of the things that he said on our program was uh warrior met doesn't want to tussle with the governor of Alabama who has the ability to inspect their minds and make things very hard for them. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's like a real threat. And Biden has just as much or more authority than the governor of Alabama would, than the governor of Texas would on that issue with MSHA. And so why would you not be like, you know, Oh, we, you know, Beaumont, Texas. Wow, you're really treating your, you know, you, uh, you, this company's really treating your workers really poorly. Uh, let's, let's, uh, OSHA. Why don't you take a look in there and, and see what's going on, and and you see if there's, you know, just just do a spot check. Just do a spot check. Or, I'm going to do that with one of my projects that um, I manage here um, <laughs> uh, with my safety person. We went on a site visit the other day, and she was like, well, I'm not really sure that, that I'm seeing what's representative because they were, they were allowed to kind of prep for it. They knew that the safety person was coming. Mm-hmm. So me and her are going to do like a secret surprise visit. Like, hey, you know, safety people, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's see what's going on here. Why don't, why don't OSHA just, just stop by Beaumont, Texas? Why don't the you know, Wage and Hour Division just stop by Beaumont, Texas? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the idea that you're not using using these mechanisms to the fullest extent that you can is absurd or 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 do what the workers there were asking the Biden administration to do no federal contracts uh, to this mm-hmm. company until uh, until they restore them uh, to to their jobs right um yeah i mean it's there there really is such an absence of of leadership despite biden sort of basking in this media portrayal of him as being like the most pro union president of our of our lifetime well, and and well, the, the, and there's no excuse for him either because as we're going to get to later with his like dig at Elon, like he's conscious of unions, <laughs> right. he's mm-hmm. conscious of the political u- utility that unions can serve for him, and I mean, I don't know, like in our lifetimes, like he's probably more pro-union than Bill Clinton, he's probably more pro-union than the Bushes, um, Obama, like it's a very low bar says right yeah i mean i think that when people say he's the most pro union president since fdr it's probably true which like (laughs) sucks ass but you know it's probably true uh it's not great though that's like being the least racist president okay like yeah (laughs) all right i mean how much of a compliment is it It's like it's like whereas like all the previous presidents would have had just like the straight like uh, I don't know what that the EKG machine it's just a flat line uh, yeah, Biden right. occasionally you see just the barest like sort of like hint at a pulse like with that you know the National Guard case or you know him right. taking shots at Elon or there's a, improvements to the bureaucracy but it's it's way lacking for what the moment actually calls for I think everybody uh, thinks that right. 
well, so David, you know, speaking of the, of the union stuff in in Texas, I just saw this uh, this tweet came across my dashboard from uh, the Austin Starbucks Workers United. Uh, mm-hmm. You cannot make us settle down. Austin is a union town. Come on, y'all, let's celebrate. Texas is a union state. <laughs> um, very cool. Starbucks Workers go. United, twenty fourth and Nueces in Austin, Texas. Um, but how, you know, I, I don't know how closely you follow the Texas labor movement. I know that the Texas AFL CIO endorsed. Um, Jessica Cisneros and both of her races against Henry Henry Mm -hmm. Cuellar um, what has been the state of labor in Texas as as you see it Um, I mean it's it's just it's a huge fight I mean the the what we're seeing for example with the Starbucks unions I think is really uh, encouraging there's been a lot of push uh, for example um, with uh, folks here to really try to expand unionization in the energy industry, um, particularly working, um, trying to focus on the growing uh, solar and wind industry here, um, because that's one that really needs to be unionized, um, particularly like home installation, because the way that system works now is they basically get paid per panel. So you'll have people basically trying to bust their ass and, you know, hold it you know bringing up an entire panel on a ladder by themselves because they know they just have to like get as many done in a day there's a lot of industry a lot of burn i'm sorry injury there's a lot of uh burnout there and there's been some pretty exciting efforts um from like the texas climate jobs project um other people here i have friends in the ibew here who are really trying to expand as you know you're seeing more opportunities at least in austin with like tesla and a lot of these companies that are moving out here there's a lot of jobs and hopefully trying to grow that that movement but it's it's a it's a tough moment because while we're seeing you know some growth in you know things like starbucks unions and like just areas where you know you didn't typically see too much unionization um the labor movement as a whole is you know on its back feet and really trying to fight and 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 push back against a really entrenched um and i think purposeful at this point a movement to you know try to and unionization in a lot of the areas, um, you know, where it traditionally existed. But I mean, like where you see the National Guards Union is really exciting. Starbucks Union is really exciting. Some of the growth in the electrical industry is really exciting. Um, but I think that particularly I'll just speak to sort of, you know, my general audience here on the left that like, I think people need to get a little bit more comfortable showing up um, for some of these communities that a lot of kind of like lefties generally sort of ignore. And I'm talking about oil and gas workers um, and things like that, because that's the most viable. And also, if you're talking about climate change, the most important um, industry really to to try to incorporate into the union movement right now. Um, it's 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 tough because too politically, you know, the unions are sort of in a rough position because, you know, while they're, you know, endorsing, for example, Cisneros um, statewide, it's like they don't get much politically for for showing up for Democrats, you know? Right. Um, and it's a, it's a difficult situation for them trying to figure out how to make political interventions where it's like, OK, well, we can support like the pro-labor Democrat, but they're going to lose by 60 points in the election. And we don't really get much when it comes to, you know, legislative sessions and, and things of that nature. Right. Right. Well, and, and then the, the last thing on Texas, how are people feeling? Um, what has been the community response to the, the shooting in Uvalde as far as on the gun issue, on the police issue, um, as just just as a tragic human event? How have 
you know, how have people been responding to that? Well, I mean, um, it's, 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 t- I mean, like, you know, so in Austin, I think people probably feel the same way that they felt before, right. Where there's a lot of support for, um, you know, more gun control, um, measures. I think, uh, you're seeing a kind of invigoration of Beto to sort of push this. I mean, and everyone knows that famous line that Beto did in the 2020 when he <laughs> ran for president, um, where he said he was going to come for your AR 15s. And, you know, the common sense was like, okay, well, that's going to be playing 24 seven here in Texas. Um, going into the governor election, they probably will still use it, but I don't think it's going to hit the same way. I think what's more most interesting to start to see if there's any kind of pivots or movement on this issue is what's happening um, in Uvalde, um, where particularly there's a lot of pushback against police. Um, and, you know, when people are seeing that these guys are sitting out there in their tactical gear, basically having coffee and hanging out with one another while somebody is murdering children, Um, There's a lot of real serious questions about how much the police actually do for folks. And, um, you know, in in, in that community, reading some of the kind of on the ground reporting and interviews with people has been, I mean, first of all, obviously tragic um, and and very interesting to start to see people trying to. uh, I mean, a lot of people have abandoned, um, you know, kind of earlier held positions about, you know, the sanctity of police. You can't ever criticize the police. Um, but also some people are trying to find ways to sort of maintain that with just like the undeniable criticism that you have to, you know, lob at these folks. I don't know how much um, I'd be. Uh, we're, we're, it's going to be interesting to see if anything is able to sort of um, direct any of that energy somewhere. Right. Because. uh Abbott, the Democrats have basically asked for a special session. And like Texas is like different from a lot of other places. It's like the the state that has the smallest, uh, the shortest legislative window. It's every two years. It's very quick. Um, But the gov, they can call a special session and they're trying to get Abbott to call a special session. Um, What he has called for is a special committee, which is where a bunch of boys get together in Austin and they talk to each other um, and they release a press um, release. But even that. Um, the special committee has been extremely limited to talking about doors um, and uh, social media um, stuff that, you know, frankly, has nothing. I mean, you know, very little, if anything, to do um, with the crisis itself. So I, I think the people who are the most fervent about this were probably already, at least on gun control in general. Um, I don't know what that's going to mean necessarily for the long term of the state, but I do think. Uh, that the kind of untouchable question of like, for example, like an AR-15 is a little bit less holy here. Um, And I mean, just like just to be clear with folks too, like, you know, the constitutional carry, which is what they did in response to El Paso, um, where, you know, a bigot drove across the state to murder people there. Um, The response to that from the, the government here was to make a hand, make it legal to permitless to carry a handgun without a permit. This is ridiculous. And that law is extremely unpopular, like across the board, Republicans and Democrats. Well, because nobody wants a guy to be sitting around without having any kind of basic training or permit or anything like that, carrying a gun in a Starbucks here. Um, And I remind folks all the time, too, that, like, you know, despite the kind of image that's put forward by the right wing, the first laws that were put on the books here when Texas became a country um, and then a state were actually to limit firearms in public. Firearms and knives, 
were the first things that were put into place here. So like the Texas tradition actually is to say, you know, keep your guns. We, we respect that, but you're not bringing your weapons out into public. You're not bringing your weapons in the public square. And this new era that we're in here with permitless carry, constitutional carry um, is really charting a new path. And I think, um, you know, probably the most hopeful and likely result from this might be a successful push to start to claw back some of those rules because there's not really a popular constituency for those. The popular constituency for those are Republicans who get a lot of money from the NRA, um, not necessarily everyday voters here. Um, but until uh, I mean, really, until like the Democratic Party can sort of crawl itself out of the hole, there's not going to be much of a vehicle um, to shift these things. And that's sort of the, the number one issue with a lot of things here. Right. Right. Yeah. The I feel you on that. The Democratic Party needing to crawl itself out of a hole. Um we're, oof, it's really, really bad in Alabama. Um, so, <laughs> I, I, I am uh, the majority report the other day with uh, the fact that, but where the Democratic uh, gubernatorial candidates are in a runoff now, and both of them are anti-abortion. One of them was endorsed by the Democrats for Life, and the other. Um, was the only Democrat in the state to vote to not vote against. She abstained when Alabama in 2017 or 2019 passed its abortion ban that does not include any um, exceptions for rape or incest and is, I believe, at the moment of conception. Um, and she didn't vote Lord. against it. It's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> crazy. Um, so let's let let's take. Let's go to something a bit more, a, a bit lighter. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's talk about Elon Musk. Um, <laughs> Another the, new Texan. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I love the yeah. photo of him with the big cowboy hat. Uh, I've seen that getting a lot of play lately. The cyber rodeo. Sorry, not to cut you off, friend, but like the cyber oh, rodeo okay. was probably one of the mis most dystopian things I've ever seen. We did a whole segment on it. What was that? Just. So it was because they built their big giga factory here. Uh -huh. And when it like officially opened up, they did a you know big celebration. So a bunch of people who've been living here for like nine months drove down to Congress and went to Allen Boots and bought a new hat for themselves and showed up to hang out with like tech boys uh, from San Francisco. <laughs> and like they had a petting zoo. Um, they had these very strange uh, uh, bulls, like mechanical bulls, but they weren't up on anything they were just like sitting on the ground sort of like menacingly <laughs> okay i don't know it was just like <laughs> it was a very awkward try to like you know dress up and play cowboy for a weekend um you know amongst people who have no real connection to that culture and certainly to the state um that's funny yeah <laughs> well the the first thing that kind of put him in the news was his return to work memo um and that was my first reaction to that was what a kind of like reactionary piece of shit, right? Uh, because these people, a lot of these people don't, ha you know, if you don't have to work, if you've been able to do telework, then you should be able to continue to do telework, at least to a certain degree. Um, but then I saw that it was executives and I was like, okay, well, I don't really care that much. Um, and then somebody mentioned that they think this is a precursor to layoffs. And I was like, what? Really? You think that? And then and then the layoffs came. He's laying off 10% mm -hmm. of Tesla workers, 10,000 workers across the US. Like 
That is huge. And and it seems to I mean, don't you think that it's all kind of stemming from his debacle with purchasing Twitter? Mm-hmm. I was going to say it's hard to know the causality. Like, is the causality because he knew his businesses were in trouble, or is his businesses in trouble because he did that dumb shit with Twitter? Um, uh, like, I, I I find it hard to know which way uh, that goes. But I, I will just say one of the uh, executives he did mention by uh, name in that letter was the uh, HR folks at the Fremont factory in California, and the Fremont factory is the one with all those horrible horrible like racist uh like allegations against right. it like people should check out like i think the mm-hmm. la times uh for the uh, full language on the types of things that were going on as well as like you're just making black people work the hardest jobs right yeah and more perfect union i know did some coverage of that as well mm-hmm. um, yep and i was yeah. just gonna mention i i can't help but but imagine part of the reason tesla's in texas in the first place was for the very uh, favorable business climate, they would say. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of parallels between Texas and Alabama and really the rest of the South and that these companies from California, New York and from other countries, they come here because they know the state government's in their pocket. They know it's a mm-hmm. hostile environment to unions. Uh, they know the wages are lower. The education levels are lower. And they see it as an opportunity to exploit us Southerners, really. Mm-hmm. Last stop totally. on the way and, to Mexico. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I think that's true. And like, I mean, like macro level, um, the, the Twitter debacle plays into this, I think, because like people need to remember about Tesla is that it is like a perfect example of like the kind of largesse that we have seen for like big corporations in the past few years in the era of cheap money from the Fed, right? That t- yeah. Tesla, they produce no cars, man. Like they don't produce very many cars, and it's the you know the most valued uh, car company in the world, right? Which is ridiculous. And what that means then is for the company, they have to watch their stock very closely. And as Tesla has started to bleed because Musk has been showing himself to be extremely erratic, and I don't know if people have seen, you know, his tweets in general um, over the past few weeks. I mean, it's, if I, it was a if it was a friend, I would call him. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. <laughs> because you're very worried about the state of uh, this person's mind and what that means for people who are investors. They sell their stock, and um, you know, this is just a, a, another perfect reality of um, example of like the system that we're in where. Um, you know, Musk is being an irresponsible owner of a company. And then he's now now to make up for that, the punishment is going to go on the backs mm-hmm. of, of workers. And, you know, he did say that, like, it, it seems it's going to be mainly white collar people um, who are who are they're going to be targeting with this. But remember that, like, particularly since they've moved so much of their operations to Texas, 10% is a large part of their workforce. And think if you had like lived in New York or California your entire life, you have to move to Austin, mm. Texas because of this guy, uproot your family, you know, get a house here or something like that. And then in like three months, uh, you get a pink slip because mm. the boss has been tweeting too much. I mean, it's it's really, uh, it's it's really devastating. Um, and it's another good example of why, you know, Elon Musk always says, well, we love, you know, billionaires are very important because we are very good at capital allocation right mm. um and you're seeing that he's actually really shit at it and it has like very right, significant right. consequences for everybody else yeah, yeah well and yeah, and, and i mean hit the the layoffs are 
isolated to Tesla. I mean, in the car manufacturing mm-hmm. space, in the U.S. car manufacturing space, he is alone in this. And and, and to mm-hmm. illustrate that, let's just uh, let's go ahead and play that clip of uh, Biden responding to a question at a, at a press conference, Adam. Elon Musk has asked, has said that he has a super bad feeling about the U.S. economy. He's coming off of his feeling about the economy. Jamie Dimon has said similar things. Well, let me tell you, while Elon Musk is talking about that, Ford is increasing their investment overwhelmingly. I think Ford is increasing the investment in building new electric vehicles, 6,000 new employees, union employees, I might add, in the Midwest. Um, the former Chrysler Corporation, Stellantis, they are also making similar investments in electric vehicles. Intel is adding 20,000 new jobs for making computer chips. Um, so, uh, you know, lots of luck in this trip to the moon. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, you know. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty good rhetoric, I think, and pretty good dismissal of him. But but it goes to show that this, that, and, and in addition to what he cited, Ford is building the biggest manufa- the biggest car manufacturing plant, if not in the world, in America right now, just west of Memphis, that is being built by union uh, union tradespeople. I know the iron workers um, sponsor the program, are sending some people out there. They're recruiting some people uh, for that. The IBEW is as well, sponsor the program. I mean, this is going to be a huge, you know, there, there's lots of investment, and I think it's still kind of up in the air whether or not these workers will be UAW represented uh, west of Memphis. But there's lots of investment going on in manufacturing in the United States mm-hmm. right now. And I think it shows a weakness on the part of Tesla that at this time, while so much investment is going into manufacturing, they're cutting back. Mm-hmm. And this is like, uh, there's another point that elon musk made i think either right before or in the wake of these layoffs where he was talking about everybody at tesla um is the same and he was Mm, saying there are no special cafeterias for workers we all use the same bathrooms there's no like you know high ceiling is not high ceiling like you know office on the 10th floor right where only uh, you know the executives are, are allowed and um i can't remember who uh made this point it might have been max berger but um somebody just retweeted uh the difference in pay from the average worker at tesla to uh, the ceo and said i don't know if it's very much true that like you know all these things are uh, exactly equal or exactly the same right yeah you know I've... yeah go ahead go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know what I find fascinating is um, the way the right is adopting Elon and acting as if he's like some sort of big liberal and not mm. some sort of titan of industry. But right. I'm just reading the the uh, Dave Rubin show, which I probably maybe I'll just w- listen to this uh, this afternoon. But uh, Elon Musk's harsh message for his Tesla employees. This was a. Uh, came out yesterday dave rubin of the uh rubin report i know that's the podcast i don't know why they start there it talks about elon musk's harsh words for the employees of tesla an email from musk to his tesla employees said that remote work will no longer be allowed and anyone who wants to continue working from home will be fired 
At a time when most businesses seem to be taken hostage by their employees, this type of stern leadership is a welcome change. And I, I just appreciate the, some of the starkness about, like, you know. Discipline uh, okay, me Dave, harder, like, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Jeez. Wow. Something, uh, David, I think maybe you brought this up about the, uh, the Tesla stock and how unmoored mm-hmm. from reality that has been. Um, you know, we've seen so much of our economy over the decades has just been absorbed by finance. So much is just speculation. And I think mm-hmm. Tesla is a great example of that. There's been plenty of these Silicon Valley companies where, you know, their stock is going through the roof, but they're not actually making anything. In some cases, they're not even making profits. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's a it's a bubbles upon bubbles and and that's one of the things that like uh just blows my mind sometimes is trying to think about the american economy and just how much of it's fake it's just just it, yeah casinos before <laughs> before david jumps in i just want to say like that's what I, my sense is too and like dave follows close to me but it seems like so much of that is betting on future monopolies right like yeah. uber and whatever it's like it's 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 that uh, the investor class is like let's get the let's get the next thing that's a monopoly where we can just control the world or at least a bigger part of the world is that industry can uh, you know command. And the problem with Tesla is that uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be a, a monopoly on uh, right. on electric cars right. because you know we're we're seeing uh, you know pretty successful ones coming out from the other manufacturers. I mean, like not to get too theoretical about this, but this is a point that like Frederick Engels made a long time ago. Um, which is that, you know, capitalists, um, you know, despite the fact that they are involved and invested in the system, they hate production and they would prefer to get as far away from production as possible and pursue fictitious capital. And it's this kind of mania of the boom and bust cycle that we live in where, you know, this is like people like Marxists have been making this argument for a long time that like the fundamentals of the capitalist economy trend toward crisis and the trend towards crisis is the kind of sprinting away from like the actual material reality of production. Um, you know, the, the actual labor that is going into the products and the goods and services that we're using. And Tesla is just like a perfect example of that kind of irrational system, a company that's been able to amass incredible amounts of not just wealth, but political power and power at large. Um, you know, despite the fact that it's very untethered um, from the actual reality. And it doesn't take very much of, uh, I don't know, a reality shock to really make that whole system start to crumble really quickly. And it just shows that the system is inherently irrational as long as we, you know, allow these people uh, to basically make decisions. Um, You know, it's it's the same thing with Tesla as it is with the oil companies, as I was talking Mm -hmm. about earlier, right? It's like, you know, the production is secondary to the, the profit. And, you know, you can find ways to sort of patch that up for a short period of time, especially in moments where there's a lot of money sort of, you know, flowing around. Um, But the second that, you know, the belts have to get a little bit, tighter um you know crisis abounds right right well matt you mentioned um dave rubin's uh (laughs) plea to elon musk to discipline him harder and uh that is something that's been happening a lot uh this is a sentiment that's been um that has been echoed across the right wing slash dude bro podcasting <laughs> space. And uh, we've got this clip from Joe Rogan that you that you tweeted out, Matt, um, where he talks about 
um, he, he, he just kind of goes on a rant about human nature. Uh, so, Adam, let's play that clip from Joe Rogan. All right. I can't wait to learn about human nature from Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> Today, the left has gone so fucking far left, so radical that the right are the ones that are celebrating comedians and celebrating Chappelle. And yeah. They had my back through all the crazy shit that happened mm -hmm. with me. It was Fox News that fucking had my back. Would you it's, ever think that they would be the ones to cape for you like, you know, 10 years ago? I'm so liberal. Yeah. Like I talk I about it all the time. Like I, I say I am not a conservative. I'm not conservative. But I am pro Second Amendment, uh -huh. and I am a hunter, and I am a cage fighting commentator, and I, you know, and I drink and I smoke cigars, and I like to bow hunt. Yeah. So there's a lot. Now, just, yeah, just, like, pause hey, it just for a second, yeah, because up to this point, this is not necessarily person, like. I believe that oh, there's a oh boy. I'll tell you. Sorry about that. No, you're fine. If, if you could re rewind it for just a, uh, uh, to when, when you start start it back, because that up to that point, he's like, okay, you're pro Second Amendment. That's arguably a right wing position, but everything. That, else is not like a right wing thing you know he's like i'm not yeah. conservative but all of these all of these like cultural things that are oftentimes associated with conservatives but but like i'll smoke a cigar and i like to drink and i yeah. you know like i don't That's i wouldn't mind go yeah like i wouldn't mind going bow hunting like i don't have a bow but if somebody wanted to take me bow hunting i'd be like well hell yeah let's fucking yeah. go you know these are not conservative things these are just like things I don't yeah, know. like was... it might skew hunting might skew a uh, Republican a little bit, but like if you come from a hunting background, you know that they're fucking Democrat hunters, right? Um, right, and, and and I think Joe experiences going out with like maybe it's not Trump Jr., but those types of folks, and you, right, so you think right. it's just like an exercise in right wing ideology. Right, right. I mean, I love like uh, you know smoking a cigarette with. A glass of uh you know like with a glass of bourbon like that's like yeah. that's <laughs> right. so much fun i love that and and if you bring yeah. me a cigar you bring me a fancy ass cigar i would like it even more but i'm you know like just a poor person yeah. right but <laughs> you know it's so that was just such a bizarre collection of statements that he put as a juxtaposition to i'm not conservative but all of these things and you know like that doesn't make you a conservative, like liking to drink and liking to smoke. That doesn't make you conservative. Mm -hmm. But let, let's let's go ahead and play the rest of that clip because he gets into human nature after that. All right. And <laughs> just bear with me as I try to get us back to that right spot. Today, the left has gone so fucking far left, so radical that the right are the ones that are celebrating comedians and celebrating Chappelle. And yeah, they had my back through all the crazy shit that happened mm -hmm. with me. It was Fox News that fucking had my back. Would you it's, ever think that they would be the ones to cape for you like, you know, 10 years ago? I'm so liberal. Yeah, like I talk I about it all the time. Like I, I say I am not a conservative. I'm not conservative. But I am pro Second Amendment, uh -huh. and I am a hunter, and I am a cage fighting commentator, and I, you know, and I drink and I smoke cigars, and I like to bow hunt. Yeah. So there's a lot in there that's like, hey, crossover. yeah. But it's just being a human. But I'm a compassionate person, and I believe that there's. A, boy, I'll tell you what though. One thing that happened during this pandemic was I, I opened it opened my eyes about human nature. Like I used to be very pro universal basic income. My thought was, wouldn't it be great if you just had enough money so you could eat? And you could pay your rent and then you could pursue what you wanted to but the reality of human nature came fully into focus when I realized that one when some people got all that money from the government the COVID money and then they got unemployment uh -huh. they didn't want to work 
I have a friend who has a restaurant. He, he could not get people to come back to work. Yeah. And so, one, one buddy of mine, uh, he, a bartender told him, I can come back to work, but I can only work for 20 hours a week because that way I get unemployment. So he wouldn't work more than 20 hours a week so he could get free money. Mm-hmm. So he could have made more money, but he didn't want to because he didn't want to work. So he was getting that free money. And then my friend was like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> Like, and now he's, you know, he's always short-staffed, and it's a, it's a mess. Yeah. Like, you see a lot of people that, are, are, that own businesses that have a hard time finding people to work for them. So there's, there's pros to that, right? The pros are people, uh, it's, it's a marketplace that favors the worker, so workers can ask for more money. So you're seeing a lot of places like bars and restaurants and stuff that have to pay more money per hour, which I guess is good as long as the restaurant can stay open. Well, I'm glad he thinks it might be good. If we get a raise, uh, it's wild that this guy is supposed to be like counterculture. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, like I told you on on, on Twitter, Matt, like you that can ain't the you counterculture can, I grew up with. Yeah, I mean, you can just you can tell my buddy who owns a bar. Like, how many people just have a buddy that owns a bar? You know, I have buddies who bartend who well, you know, and you can just look. tell who he who he runs around with and who he yeah. empathizes with, and and you know, he kind of. He walked back a little bit towards the end where he was like, oh, I don't know, maybe it's good. He said maybe it's good that workers are getting more money. But you can tell he's really, really empathizing with the poor bar owner who, you know, this guy only wants to work 20 hours a week. Which, if you know, if some if, if you give me a bartender and you, uh, you know, he would work, she would work full time if you paid them enough. But I would be willing to bet... I'm not. I would not be unsurprised if his bar owner buddy is only paying these people like two dollars an hour, right? Yeah, and and they're making their living on tips. Yeah, no, I mean it's tough for Joe because compassion is a really difficult thing to sort of exercise when you have to be compassionate on the one hand for hungry people uh, that want to like live their lives, and on the other hand, you have to be compassionate for bar owners uh, who need drinks made. Uh, And I I think, I mean, the the brilliant beautiful thing about this clip is like you say it starts with the social issues but often mm-hmm. it just stays there and mm-hmm. it's just like hey i agree with you on all this stuff i'm one of you guys very rarely does it go like but on the economic uh issues uh, particularly when it comes to coercion of the labor force <laughs> i am right. not on your side anymore like mm. it, it makes things very clear and there's not a whole lot really of commentary except there's one thing i do want to add before i let david go is that Joe Rogan co-founded a company called Onnit Labs, which makes uh, you might have uh, heard of Alpha Brain, and then some other like shroom tech mushroom uh, type of sport uh, <laughs> supplement. That was bought by the Unilever Corporation. Uh, nonetheless, uh, that got 2.4 million dollars in PPP uh, granted to them for give loans. So when it, Joe comes about like the government giving money out to folks mm. and what that does to their motivation, well, is Onnit Labs? What are they doing now? Are they just sitting on their ass because they got uh, they got free government money, um, or are they cu- trying to come out with that next alpha brain uh, iteration that's really going to help people focus on their Joe Rogan podcast? And right. I mean, I just add like, because I, I think that the the whole clip I think is it's worthwhile because it's very revealing of um, the mentality that Joe Rogan has, as y'all are noting, with the social issues, and then immediately when it comes to anything that's political, it's this kind of anti-worker tirade. Um, but let's also like. Um, you know, interrogate this example for a second. I don't know where his bar owner friend is, but I know here you can't deny work 
and uh, get unemployment. Right. right? right. So, because, yeah. um, because the unemployment system in this country is actually set up um, to just carry you and put you in a position where you actually lose your right to say no um, to work. So the Alabama, just on that, the Alabama Department mm-hmm. of Labor sent out a notice to like members of all the Chamber of Commerces across the state and and, and, and business owners to uh, like, hey, here is the place that you report people for refusing to work so that we can take them off of the unemployment rolls. Like they're very serious about this. And, and and here it's like it's humiliating like you know my mother lost her job during the pandemic my mom is like one of the hardest working people i know you know she's worked 60 hours a week wage labor her entire life um and she first time in her life she needed something like that and you know what they make you do here is on top of like not being able to refuse work they make you get set up with a counselor who teaches you work ethic right mm. which is just so insulting um as as a concept but like you know like the the kind of picture that you get from guys like joe just like it just again shows like you know you're talking about like what kind of guy has like you know his friends with the owners right it also shows that like you don't know anybody in that system because anybody who knows how that system works would be able to tell you straight up no it doesn't work like that right and like maybe that conversation happened you know like i was saying to matt on the show like you know sometimes people think like oh i can't get a i'm gonna deny a raise because my taxes will go up right Mm. You know, and that's not true. Right. It's not how it works. You know, but right. sometimes people might think that. So, like, you know, maybe the conversation did happen and it's not just a made up thing. Um, but again, it just it, it just shows what side of the conversation that Joe and his cohort yeah. are on here mm-hmm. um, very clearly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Some of us have actually tried to do unemployment and it's not a fucking generous giveaway. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But I don't make millions of dollars talking about dudes fighting each other and uh, <laughs> having a podcast. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Matt, I, I will just say, say uh, finally, um, uh, it's been heartening to see his Reddit sort of turn on him on these sorts yeah. of questions. Mm. Um, that's a, you oh, know, that's good to hear. The people are out there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, because the people who are bow hunting and smoking cigars and drinking bourbon probably are closer to the unemployment rolls than they are to the PPP loans. Man. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm right. thinking about like uh, I worked at a sports bar, uh, I don't know, about 10 years ago when UFC was like really hitting it big. It seemed to be kind of the peak of its popularity. And I think back to the like the crowds we would get for the big fight nights. Everybody'd show up on Saturday nights to see the pay per view at the bar. Yeah, not many millionaires among that crowd. It, it all seemed like you know working class folks for the most part. And I, I just you know I don't see where many of them. Uh, are getting these handouts. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the PPP loans because if there were any just, you know, the government throwing money at people, mm. it was that. That, right. you yeah. know, we, we know about, you know, tens of millions of dollars in fraud, and that's just what we know of. There, uh, God only knows how much money just disappeared into people's pockets through that. And it wasn't, uh, you know, everyday people, normal, regular working people we were not having money thrown at us. If we right. did, I missed the mm-hmm. fucking boat on that. Um, <laughs> someone find it for me because right. um, I didn't get that. You know, we got our little measly stimulus checks that weren't even as much as what we were promised. And, yeah. you know, got the child tax credit for six months. Um, it, it was nice. Right. It was better than what I'd been getting. Uh, 
but to to act as if like that somehow was throwing money at me and discouraging me from from Mm -hmm. working hard uh is yeah it, it shows that he is not living in that world um he probably doesn't have anyone close to him who's living in that world uh and i'm sure you know he's been a millionaire for a long time so you know maybe he remembers back in his early days what it was like to really have to sell your labor to survive but well and and, you know i mean on the factual question of what he was talking about he was like well i used to support ubi because um you know maybe that would give people a chance to pursue their passions so that maybe they wouldn't be so tied to uh you know (laughs) you know they can better themselves or something (laughs) and that's exactly what people like you know by and large the reason that low-wage employers are having difficulty filling jobs is because workers who had those kind of jobs took the time that they were on unemployment to better themselves to to maybe get an education to get a different job to go into the trades to to get something that was a more reliable you know mm-hmm. that the to to go up in the into a better paying industry uh, there were early retirements there were people you know we've had a million people die in this country a lot of whom were workers uh you know and uh, so that's exactly the that's exactly what you would expect if people took the money to do what he thinks he wanted people to do it's just that's the consequence is that people that he's friends with are going to have a more difficult time finding workers who are willing to toil for nothing yeah it seems i mean that's the that's the that's the end game there and it's like it's funny to see where his sympathy ends right it's like right oh i've had to wait a little bit longer for my barbecue um (laughs) you know actually people shouldn't be able to um eat and uh, pursue their own interests anymore. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that's so disappointing (laughs) about Rogan is that like, you know, despite there, you know, being some moments when he was like sort of pushing Bernie, which I thought was helpful, um, you know, you just realize very quickly that this guy is just going to revert to the, you know, to his class interests at the end of the day, despite all the counterculture BS that he promotes. Um, You know, this is somebody who is a boss and thinks like one. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that ought to really reiterate to, you know, my hippie friends and brothers and sisters out there, just because someone like takes mushrooms doesn't mean they're going to be enlightened for the rest of their Rick life. Perry is doing the <laughs> mushrooms now. Wow. People, you know, yeah. wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they'll take anything from us. <laughs> yeah. Nothing is sacred. Nothing is sacred. Even our damn mushrooms, they will take them from us. Yeah. You know, just one final note on the PPP stuff is like, if you actually look at the CARES Act and like all the money that was spent, it's like, okay, you, this amount, this slice here, 2000 a little bit for like checks given to people. And then like the extra, a little bit for, um, for unemployment for certain people that got unemployed that adds up to maybe like a a couple thousand. And then it's over 10,000 per individual person per capita that was spent given to corporate America. Mm. And what the fuck, like, and now they're complaining that they can't, they don't know where to, how to get people to work. It's like cough it up like that. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And meanwhile, prices on the goods and services they provide have been skyrocketing. Yeah, I, I mean, all these things, come, you know, a confluence of, of issues there. But, yeah, the PPP part, I think that has just been memory hold for a yeah. lot of folks. It seems like that's been memory hold. We just we just focus on 
don't you remember your stimulus check uh, and the unemployment expanded benefits that so many people were never able to get in the first place? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's a very important part of this equation. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, David, thank you all for hanging out with us. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Fun, and guys. Your patience, guys. Yep. Oh, we always love talking with y'all. Yep. All right. Y'all have a good one. Peace. And, uh, and that's going to be it for us as well. You've been listening to the Valley Labor Report. Uh, been listening to Matt Leck, David Griscom from Left Reckoning. Find them on YouTube, on Patreon, Twitter, Facebook, all those places. Um, yeah, definitely check them out. They're yeah. good folks. As you can tell, like-minded good folks. And, um, yeah, we've, we've had a couple of guest spots on there, so check it out if you get a chance. Yeah. And with that, we're going to head out, too. Uh, We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye, y'all.